We will be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read, or I'm going to anyway. If we all had pew Bibles or the exact same translation, we could do a choral reading, but that might be a little choppy because we probably have some different translations in here. Mm. Ephesians chapter 1, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. You're welcome to have a seat. We just looked at verses 1 through 14. And we think of God's plans versus our plans. Throughout the whole week, I was thinking the sermon was going to be on verses 1 through 14. And it wasn't until uh, a very last minute time, I won't even tell you how last minute, that I realized that's not a realistic idea. It's going to, we're, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 3 this morning. And then we'll continue working our way through. Uh, as the weeks go on. But I want to read all of that passage, verses 1 through 14, because verses, verses 3 through 14 in the original manuscripts is all one big, elegant sentence. And it's, there are periods in here, because you know the translation of, of languages, sometimes it can be really choppy one language to another if you don't add certain punctuation in to make it make sense more when we read it. But it's all one sentence. But it's a very 
powerful sentence. So we're going to take a, at least a couple sermons to get through a sen this sentence. But, so we'll do about one and, I don't know, one and one-eighth sentences today. And we'll start with the first one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul often starts out letters like this. Mentions he's an apostle. And sometimes, such as in a letter like to the Corinthians, his apostleship and the authority that it carries can be very handy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This letter is a lot different than 1 Corinthians. This is a lot warmer. This letter is much less correctional in nature. Paul had a lot of corrections to give the Corinthians. In Ephesians, the, we don't see that so much. We see, we see a theme of God's grace, of who we are in Christ, and of walking in the love of Christ in Ephesians. And it, it, Ephesians is such a deep and glorious letter that sometimes people have suggested a number of themes. We'll see it as we go through it. It's a great book for us, any book of the Bible is a great book for us to study as a church. But this is a great one as well because through this, God can help us realize all the more what he has done and who we are in him as a result of the finished work of Christ and what it means to be in Christ. And then it goes on and Paul writes about how that plays out in the lives of believers and how it plays out in the local church. That's going to be very, very relevant for us. We're going to begin to scratch the surface of it today. So Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And it's a, little, it's a little bit unknown. Different people believe different things as to, he, so he addresses this to the saints who are in Ephesus. So there, there was a church of Ephesus. So this could have been directly to that individual church. And some people, not just liberal scholars, but conservative ones too, believe that this could have been a circular letter that was, that was sent to a number of churches around that province, Ephesus being a leading city. Either way, glorious truths for us to take in. Glorious truths for us to take in indeed. As we, look, as we go through the book, we'll look a little bit more about some of the aspects of the <laughs> church of Ephesus and how this scripture was relevant to them and how it's relevant in turn to us. So Paul addresses this to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints in Ephesus. I think we've talked about saints before. The saints in Ephesus. And what do we hear of, what do we think of sometimes as a culture when we hear of saints? We think of the glorious people of old and they often have done great things by the Lord's grace. But we know, what is a saint really? Anyone in Christ, right? Anyone in Christ. 
so, sometimes um, I'll address people as Saint so-and-so. <laughs> they get a little defensive at first. Oh, I mean, only if I know they're a Christian, of course. I don't, I don't say this to my pagan co-workers or pagan relatives or any, any, any random person. But the saints are holy ones, set apart for worship and service to God. And it's, it's good to think about the word saint, to the saints, and to think, we are, we are the assembly of saints. And while some would be, oh, I don't know, that sounds haughty, what we're going to look at in Ephesians immediately following and throughout the book is where saints, because of what Christ has done, it points back to Christ, it reflects back to Christ. And it's not bad to think of yourself as a saint. In fact, it's correct if you're in Christ. And when you think of yourself as a saint, we think of each other as saints, we think it gets us thinking that we're new creations. We're, we're people who have been born again in Christ. And maybe the word saint is strange enough to make us remember that. And that's important to remember that. We'll look at that too. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the structure of what we're going to be looking at, this big glorious sentence, verses 3 through 14, we'll talk about the structure a little bit. It, it flows almost as some people have called it a doxology, it flows almost as a, like a song of praise, starting with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It flows almost like a song. Perhaps it could be a good prayer or song to, to reflect on in your hearts and devotionally. But it's packed with truth as well. Verses 3 through 6 Verses 3 through 6, we see the past purpose of the Father. And verses 7 to 12, we see the present redemptive work of Christ. And verses 13 and 14, we see the future redemption, the consummation of the fact that God has redeemed us and the ministry of the Spirit. And there's some overlap there too. And that's why... I'm not going to try to do this all in one sermon. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that's as far as we're going to get today. This isn't the end of the sermon, but that's the end of the text as far as we're getting today. So, what God has done, the, the title of the sermon is Spiritual Blessings in Christ, Past, Present, and Future. We're going to get about as far as past, and we're not going to finish past, but we're going to get into the present implications of what God has done. Communion is a good reflection of it too. What God has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So again, 
we're not really stopping in the middle of the sentence. We're stopping at the beginning of the sentence. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So in the heavenly places, is that, is that referring to heaven as in heaven where God is? I think by implication, somewhat. That is, we will inherit some blessings of being in Christ, surely, when we are in heaven as we think of it. But it's also speaking, and perhaps more directly, of the, when it says the heavenly places, that's a term that's used other places throughout the book of Ephesians. And there's this, this idea of the spiritual realm. And God has blessed us in Christ and the spiritual realm in such a way that we can experience many of those blessings now. Somebody, I think it was C.S. Lewis, I did not have time to look up this specifically. Maybe I'll authenticate that next week. But some smart person in moderately recent past came up with a great equation. It is a glorious math equation. I'm not even that crazy about math, but this is a wonderful equation. Y equals mx plus b means so much to me. No, that's not it. That's not it. That's the wrong one. I'm glad I didn't write that down. But that, that could be an advertisement for another time, because even y, mx, y equals mx plus b, even that shows the glory of God. Because if it wasn't for all things being held together by Christ, then y equals mx plus b would be like y equals Easter bunny times 3, or something that makes no sense at all. Uh, but that's, that's a sermon for another time. Here's what the equation actually is. Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. I'll say that again. Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. It's easy to say, kind of easy to understand, and it takes faith and practice and abiding in Christ and reflecting and meditating to really believe and live out. And it's what God wants us to do every day of our lives. Christ plus everything equals Christ plus nothing. You can say it either way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. Everything. 90%? Nope. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. In Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. The one who has Christ and nothing is just as rich as the one who has Christ and everything. And even as I'm saying this, my own flesh kind of wants to say, yeah, but 
Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places. So Jesus told the parable of workers who went out and they were making, they, had, they started at a certain time and then the employer hired some other workers later on and they all got the same wage at the end. And the, f and the first workers wanted to put up a little fuss about that. Christ plus everything equals Christ plus nothing. We think of someone who lived a righteous life. Think of someone who lived a righteous life, believed in the Lord at the age of whatever the, the youngest possible, humanly possible age of accountability is, whatever that is. Let's just say they were a genius and they like accepted Christ in the womb by, you know, God appeared to him in a dream. And then there's the thief on the cross. What did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. And now, before we go on, there are, there are several implications of this, but before we go on, let me just say, does that mean that we just believe in Christ, then do nothing with our lives? Nay. And does it mean that the one who believes on Christ and lives intentionally a very mediocre Christian life has the same rewards in heaven as the, as the one who believes on Christ and lives for Christ passionately? No. They will have very different spiritual rewards in heaven. But in Christ, we have access. We have this access to every spiritual blessing. And it goes something like this. Here are some implications. We are saved by grace and we grow in grace. This defeats legalism. Legalism is basically the idea of what God has said plus this. If you add something to what we have scripture, but if you add these things, that's how to really please God. Or, in short, it's believing that we can work our way into pleasing God, apart from His grace. This defeats legalism, because when we read that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that is to say, we do not receive the spiritual blessings by somehow impressing God with our works. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The way of growth is abiding in Christ, putting off the old and putting on the new. But the point is, it all centers back to Christ. It all centers back to Christ. Sometimes people get this idea of we're saved by grace but then from then on, it just depends on us. No, we're saved by grace. And then from then on, 
we still need God's grace all the way every day. That's, that's the, that's, it's the beginning of a new life. It's not saved by grace and then by our own white knuckling, grinning of our teeth and best efforts and wishful thinking, we can live the Christian life. We are saved by grace and then we depend on God's grace. Oh, we still need to put on the spiritual armor. And we'll get to that in this book too. We still need to walk the narrow path. And that means saying no to the wide path. And sometimes that's a daily, sometimes it's even a moment by moment thing. So there is, there is, there is a certain striving that is a good kind of striving. But there's a certain striving that we don't need to do. The Bible has paradoxes in it. We'll get into that more when we go, go into the rest of the verses, even the, in this passage. But the Bible, the Bible has paradoxes rather than contradictions. The Bible says, cease striving. And the Bible tells us to strive. The Bible says, cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving. The scripture tells us to cease our striving. And yet, it tells us that we are to strive in, in the sense that we're run with perseverance, the race that's laid out for us. So I say that just to say, this doesn't mean a passive receiving of Christ, a passive idea that we're in Christ, let's go back to our lives. It's no, we're in Christ. Let's live lives for Christ. But all the spiritual blessings come from him. Everything's by his grace. And we still, we still cry, sweat, and bleed sometimes. But we do that with the strength, even that in the strength that God gives us. Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. So what else does that mean? It means that as we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, we have everything we need to put it simply, we have, in Christ, we have everything we need to live the lives and be the people who, ha who God has called us to be. To put it simply. In Christ, and in the spiritual blessings that come from, from being in union with Christ, we have everything we need to live the lives and be the people who God has called us to be. And that's where Christ plus nothing equals Christ plus everything. Because as one fellow said, I have a habit of defaulting to legalism. He believes in grace, but he defaults to legalism sometimes. That is, the, the natural way of our flesh can be to say, if you want anything, you're going to have to work for it. And in some cases, that's true. We don't go to employers and say, by your grace, could you just give me the paycheck? Kind of a foreign concept. In fact, it's otherworldly. And that's where the incarnation comes in. We have everything we need in Christ to live the lives God has called us to live and be the people who he's called us to be. All we need for Christian living can be found in Christ. And a matter of growing again is putting off the old, that's the old self before Christ, and putting on the new, which is to put on Christ. 
That's the conscious part that's our responsibility. Put off the old, put on the new, that is Christ, and abide in Christ. Live close to Christ. And then he causes us to grow in him with all the spiritual blessings that he provides. That's the part that takes, takes our conscious effort. Abiding in Christ, putting off the old, putting on the new. We abide in Christ so we're walking closely with him so that we know him and we're thinking about him and we're living closely enough that when there's a bump in the road that's a bump of our flesh, it stands out to us. We recognize it, we confess it, we renounce it, we put it off as part of the old self, as part of the flesh, and we put on Christ. We replace it with Christ. Have you ever spent time with somebody and whether the person's just such a, such a godly person or that person feels so strongly about something that maybe you don't feel as strongly about when you're spending time with them, when you do something that you'd normally do, it's kind of like, oh. And, and, and the fact that they're with you causes a little bit of friction there. Sometimes that can happen, and hopefully this happens with other people. Have you ever heard someone apologize for swearing or something? But it wasn't, like, it wasn't because you said, uh-uh-uh, that's you, I told you. You never told them not to say that. But, or maybe you did. That's okay too. You can do that. But they apologize for swearing. It's that kind of thing. It's because you're in your, they're in your presence, and there's just something about you, and and that's probably the light of Christ shining off that makes them think, oh, ah, uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Well, all the more so when we're abiding in Christ. When we're abiding in Christ, when we're walking with Jesus, when we're walking closely with Him. The more we walk, the longer we journey with Him, the longer we know it, the more we know Him more, and the more the ways of the old self that we're sometimes still holding on to, even though the old self has been nailed to the cross, show up. And what do we do when they show up? Confess them, renounce them, put to death sin, and put on Christ. Everything we need for Christian living. Everything we need for Christian living is in Christ. So don't default to legalism. Sometimes we think, if, if, I could, if I could just do this, if I could measure up in this way, but God's given us all we need for life in Christ. And by His grace, He will eventually help us to overcome that, whatever that, whatever that thing is. We all have certain things that we get hung up on. You brought up Dave, I think. Before some fellow, there was something in his life so that they, as soon as he became a Christian, he just got rid of it. He just never did it again. Some, some of us have some things that are easy to just get rid of. And then there are other things that when X circumstance comes up, it's so easy to default to, to the sin. But we rely on God's grace. We keep abiding with him. And we trust that on this journey of Christ-likeness, he will bring us beyond that. And he will. And we don't need anything but Him. We have each other too. That's important. Amen. We still need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship. Yes. But that's all part of being in. That's under the umbrella of being in Christ. Mm -hmm. None of that would have any significance if we weren't in Christ. That would just be relig religious activities. Mm -hmm. We have everything we need 
for living out the Christian life in Christ. Sometimes you hear certain teachers who are kind of of the, may I say, name it and claim it persuasion, who will teach this way to victory that's like, you have to, if there's something that you want and you don't have it, you have to confess it out loud that you do have it. Now, I'm all for confessing scripture. Even Jesus himself modeled that. <laughs> we are to confess scripture and we are to confess who we are in Christ. But simply confessing something that you don't that, that simply confess, it's so weird I can barely say it. Simply confessing that you do have something that you don't have kind of just makes you delusional more than it makes you victorious. So here's an example. And we'll get to how you can replace this with a better example too. Won't leave you off with a bad one, don't worry. So you're at, you're at your job and maybe you're not performing up the par. Your boss is nipping at your heels. Oh, I want greater productivity than this. I'm not, I'm not very pleased with this. Some name it and claim it kind of teachers would teach you, well, you need to claim I am victorious. I am successful. I am the best employee they have. You might not be. You might not be. Not, God didn't promise us. and things like that in every way that we desire it. I, I, I have worked at some jobs before where I've given it my best shot and, and I came up short and I came up short. And, oh, Greg, you just needed more faith. You needed to get up in the morning and claim, I am victorious and by Friday I am getting a raise. By Saturday, even though they're closed on Saturday, I will be president of the organization. <laughs> There's something better we can do. There's something better we can do. Rather than claim, I am this, I am that, especially when sometimes we're not. Okay, I can't resist. I have to do one more. I just have to do one more. <laughs> sometimes Lydia is not feeling well and I have to run out to Walgreens at an inconvenient hour to get some Pepto-Bismol or something like that. And sometimes, sometimes I don't have the best attitude when I have to do that and I'm disrupted from whatever I was doing. I have a, a, you know, a selfish attitude. I start to murmur. I am the best husband in the world. Let's say I already murmured and I was kind of, kind of rude to Lydia. I am a good husband. I am not murmuring. <laughs> I, I do have a great attitude. No, I, I actually don't. I have a bad attitude and I need to repent is what, what, hap what needs to happen. Sometimes this is just delusional. Sometimes it's just delusional. Okay, one more then we're moving on. Let's say you want to get into the army. They're colorblind. I confess that I am not colorblind. Well, you actually are colorblind, and you might need to choose a different career. You can ask God to heal you of your colorblindness, but saying that you're not colorblind, when in fact you are, you're just saying that Y does not equal MX plus B. That just doesn't make sense. Okay, we go on. Now here's the good part. Rather than confessing I am this, I am that, 
I wanted to tarry a little bit, maybe a little bit because I like to tarry sometimes. That might be the shallow part. But the greater part is that we, we live in a very self-saturated culture. And there's a lot of I am this, I am that, I, I, I. And we need to, we need to let, the, let scripture be abrasive to that and come in contact with us and, and help us to cast that off and put on Christ instead. How much greater it is to confess who he is. So we, we have access to all this, this wonderful, all the wonderful spiritual blessings of knowing Christ and the ability for a God to work in us everything he wants to do. Everything he wants to do through us by being in union in, with Christ. How much greater it is rather than to try to convince ourselves that we're something that we're not. How much greater it is to admit that we're not, we're not what we wish we were sometimes. But he, he's perfect. We're not. We're not always victorious in the way we want to be, but, but he's victorious. And we can have the victory that he wants us to have in any given circumstance. And that's what victory really is in the Christian life. It's, it's living in Christ in a way that pleases God. And the good thing is, we're not limited by circumstances. Sometimes we want to say, we all want that. I do. We all want good circumstances. But for victory in Christ, our circumstances can be falling apart all, that, all around us. And we see this in Paul's writing in other places. I mean, Paul is one of the, many people will credit him as being one of the, the greatest champions of the Christian faith, other than Christ himself, of course. But look at his life. He wrote, he wrote this book of Ephesians, amongst others. He wrote this in some form of incarceration. It could have been under house arrest, where he was, where he was maybe chained to a guard. It might have not actually been a dungeon that he was in. But, but he wrote these glorious things. God worked through him, and God sovereignly ordained him to write this when he was under the Lord. And he could only do that in Christ. In Christ, we have everything we need for, God, for life and godliness. We need Jesus more than we need favorable circumstances. Do you ever have something that you know the Lord call, called you to do? And you say, well, I'd like to do that, but I need this, that, and the other to line up first. I've been there. I've been there. When the Lord calls us to do something, it's time to move forward in some way. So if he calls you to go to I India or Iran or something, that, that maybe doesn't mean you go to the airport right at that moment. Maybe it does. But the, but the point is, that might be a good thing, as long as we realize that that inadequacy only is in ourselves. But we have everything we need, all the spiritual blessings available in Christ to do anything he's called us to do. And that has huge implications for our lives individually and corporately as a body of Christ. So think about anywhere you go, whether you're at home, whether you're by yourself at home, whether you're with other people, who God wants you to be and everything he wants you to do there, he has, he has equipped you to be exactly who he wants you to be and do exactly what he wants you to do. And Everything you need is, is found in Christ. Everything you need is found in being in union with Him.
And the more we recognize that union, and the more we abide in Him, that's how, that's how we're enabled to let the fruit of the Spirit flow out of our lives. What the Lord, how the Lord will use us down the road, that's not to say that He's not using us now, but just think of the future. Who knows the future? Who knows how, who the Lord will bring across our paths? How He'll use us in one another's lives? How He'll use us just in the community? It might not even take place in the, in the presence of our assembly, but how the Lord wants to work in us as a congregation of believers and, and fill us with the Spirit so that we're going out and wherever we are, we're shining as lights. By the way, that's what that, um, that's part of the heart of, of this conference. It's going to be in a week. I don't usually make announcements in the middle of a sermon, but this is a good time for one. Next week, if anybody wants to go, uh, Presbyterian Church in Ipswich, 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Anybody's welcome to ride with me. Let me know. 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. We'll still have church, but I'll leave a little early next week. And now back to the Ephesians. But that's the heart of it. The Lord, the Lord wants to fill us with the Spirit. He wants us to send us out. And everything we need for life and godliness is in Him. All the spiritual blessings that we need are found in Him. And now we're going to go on to the next point, which is really a summary of this one. Before we close and continue to experience this elegant mega-sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We're going to pause there as far as the text goes. Holy and blameless. And this is also a good way to start the book of Ephesians, thinking of what's ahead. Holy and blameless. So, as the NIV Study Bible says, holiness is the result, not the basis of God's calling. Holiness is the result, not the basis of God's calling. He doesn't call us because we're holy. He calls us because we're not. And He calls us to be holy. And that's what we're going to get into more next week. I thought it was going to be this week. Next week. Next week, we'll get into that more. Calls us on the basis of moral purity, blamelessness, freedom from guilt of past sin. How wonderful that is. We celebrated that with communion today. Freedom from the guilt of past sin. So putting this back to Christ, every spiritual blessing in Christ, He's called us to be holy and blameless. Now that's two-part. First of all, we're holy and blameless because of Christ's righteousness, if I could use a fancy word, imputed onto our accounts. Like that, that accounting term again. Transfer something from your savings account to your checking. It's just, it just transferred one to the other. From one to the other, Jesus transferred His righteousness. He didn't lose it, but He transferred His credited his righteousness onto us. It's a whole lifestyle. So positionally, and we'll get into this more too, positionally we stand holy and blameless before God because of Christ's righteousness on our accounts. 
but practically as, as we live it out in lifestyle, we know, we know that none of us are there yet. So what do we do about that? Well, that's what we have the rest of our lives on earth for, to become more like Jesus. He's called us to be holy. He's called us to be blameless. And that's a whole lifestyle of putting off the old, putting on the new, knowing Christ more, and becoming more like Christ. And he enables us to do that. And that we will look at more in the rest of Ephesians as we go on. Some closing applications. This week, I challenge you to read through the book of Ephesians. It's there quite a bit in Christ. Maybe underline them. Maybe underline them and highlight them with the special Bible underlining and highlighting pen and markers you got for Christmas. I don't know if you got that for Christmas. I, I, okay, I did get that for Christmas though. Lydia got me that. In Christ. It, it's, it's in there in Ephesians a lot. Take a look at that. Go, go read through the book. Highlight it, underline it, or maybe just take note of it. And take some time to reflect on that, meditate on that. We're going to take some time, uh, we're going to go through this whole book, God willing, and we're going to reflect on that a lot as a, as a church, but start reflecting on it as an individual, and I'll do the same. And develop a habit of thanking and blessing God through praise. So profound and so obvious, I think sometimes we miss it. Sometimes I think, I thank God for little earthly things, things working out well, and that's right too, we should do that. But they, try to make a, a, a lifestyle habit. Try every day, try every day in your prayer time, or maybe as you go about your day, to just bless the Lord and thank Him for salvation and for the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. And ask Him to help you understand that better. And we'll journey through that more as we go on. So let's close in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We thank you for the salvation that you've freely given to us. We thank you, Lord, that in you we have everything we need for life and godliness. Help us to really understand what that means, everything. Lord, as, as and we, we go to legalism sometimes, and we think, if only this, if only that. But we know all, all that we need to be flows out of knowing you. We pray that for each one of us that you'll, you'll speak to us about what it means to, to be in you and to let the spiritual blessings flow from you and that our eyes will be fixed on you, not ourselves. Not on any earthly thing that we think that will make us more spiritual or make us better people or better Christians, but focus us on you. And we pray that as we come together each week, that you'll help us to grow more and more as a body in knowing who we are in you and, and that in knowing as a body who you've called us to be in you spiritually through the blessings. We commit our tithes and offerings to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.